What's up, guys? It's day four, and you're listening to Devo with Uncle Theo. Have my special guest with me again, Detective Mills in the house, and we're going to keep it going. We're going to be faithful to Knockout Chapters 10 through 12, and we'll go straight into the, the text today, Chapter 10. We're walking out of Chapter 9. I don't think we talked about the end of 9 where Noah began forming and planted a vineyard and he drank and became drunk. And we had kind of our seed kind of mapped out a little for us. So I'll just start there and go into 10. But first, just come in on Noah, bro. He comes off the ark, makes a sacrifice, then goes and gets drunk. What does that tell us? Sin is still in the heart of man, even the righteous ones. And sin needs to be dealt with. And we have something that happens here where... Ham sees the nakedness of his father and tells his brother, and this really upsets his father, and we get curses and blessings. So this helps us because it helps us track the seed. So let's just read that and walk into 10. So this is 925. Curse be Canaan, servant of servants. He shall be to his brother. He also said, bless be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. And may God enlarge Jephthah and let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be his servant. So if you were a betting man, where you put the seed, you got him saying, curse be Canaan, curse be Ham, which obviously Canaan flows there. And then bless be the Lord, the God of Shem and let Canaan be his servant and may God enlarge Jephthah's. So right now it's either Shem or Jephthah, right? But if you keep reading, it says, and let him dwell in the tent tents of Shem. So your detective meals. Give me your detective work. Who who you going with? I would say Shem. You going with Shem. All right. And I think you are right on the money, bro. Because we walk into uh, verse 28. It says, Noah lived 350 years after the flood. So all the days of Noah was 950 years and he died. And now, boom, another genealogy. Now, these are the records of the generations of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, the sons of Noah. And sons were born to them after the flood. And so, man, chapter 10 is so important. In fact, it's deemed by most scholars the table of nations because it tells us where every single nation comes from on earth. And we not only learn that, we can trace the seed and I think you had a good question from one of our other podcasts where someone said, why trace the, the seed of the bad lineage? And so speak to that for me a little. Why, why would you trace Satan's seed instead of just only tracing God's? Yeah, well, we know that it's going to come up a lot in the Old Testament, especially in, in the next few books. We're going to be introduced to uh, different sets of people, and God's going to say sometimes wipe them out. Yeah. And we need to know why. Yeah. And so if we know, if we can go ahead and get acquainted with some of these names now, yeah. it's going to set us up to where we'll be able to understand what comes later a lot better. No, nah, that's good, man. I like how you worded that. And it's, if you were, you had a list of people you liked and didn't like, and you wouldn't you want your family to know the list of the people you, this is my enemy list. Like, stay away from these folks. And I think from Genesis 3.15, if we got enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent, I just don't want to know the seed of the woman who to follow 
let me get a list of who not to follow. You know what I'm saying? And I like your point on how you word that. There are so many books. I think there's a book called The Theology of Race. There, there are other books that just break the table of nations down. And I have a little knowledge uh, of it. But in chapter 10, verse 2, it says, Japheth and where Gomer and Magog, and you see a lot of these names come up again, and they trace a lot of the European descent from this lineage, from Japheth. And then you have Ham, and it says Cush. And we know the Cushites, that's mainly where Ethiopians and the African descent comes from. And so that piques my interest because that's my lineage. And so you have the Cushites there, but also you have that in verse six, it says Mizraim. You know what that's another word for? Egyptians. Mm. So those are the Egyptians right there. Then you got put in Canaan. Then you see Nimrod in verse eight. Now Nimrod was a mighty one on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore it was said like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. We know a lot about Nimrod because he, False God, like so much false worship flows from Nimrod. And I mean, you can do a whole podcast just on him alone. So that's smack that like Enoch, him walking with God and no more. You got a statement about a wicked man right here in the middle of the, the genealogy. And that's pretty interesting too, because if you, they say that you've traced back, trace all, every false religion back to Nimrod. Really? Yeah. And this is pretty interesting wow. too, that, that he's connected to Egypt. Yeah. Because they were... Even today, we know that a lot of people are still worshiping those gods. We see the eyes of Horus and, and things like that. Mm -hmm. So this, it's just interesting. Yeah. You even, what's the false trinity? Do you remember yeah. like debate those people in the streets a lot? Horus, Osiris, and is it Isis? It's the th Maybe. third one. Yeah. Man, I hadn't studied in so long. I need to brush back off. But that's what we engage in when we're in the streets with like BHI and other people, but I don't want to get too far on a tangent, but in, in getting back to the text in verse 15, Canaan, the, the Amorites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, man, these are people we're going to encounter later. Sodom and Gomorrah, verse 19. But then, bro, you get to 21 and 22, Shem and Eber. And guess what Eber sounds like? Hebrew. Bro, and that's where the Hebrews come from. That's our lineage. Shem is the great grandfather many times over of, of Abram. And we'll see that. And then it says that, you see in verse 25, it says, Peleg, for in his days, the earth was divided. And you got some scholars that say this is tectonic plates with the earth reshaping and dividing. But really what I think this is, it's a precursor. It looks ahead to the nations at Babel. And what happens in the next chapter that we'll look at. And so let's go there, man. Chapter 11, the Tower of Babel. Anything sticks out to you in uh, chapter 11? Yes. Yeah, it's, it's always been interesting to me that everyone spoke the same language and that God says that if they get together, there's nothing that they can't do. Man. And that speaks to us about the power of unity, bro. And because we all in the name of unity in America, that's all we preach unity. But apart from Christ, you know what we do with unity? We just going to get together and rebel against God. Exactly. That's why we need Christ, bro, because there is no unity apart from Christ. And looking at chapter 11, it says that the whole 
earth use the same language and they use their unity to attack God, man. And that's sad. And it says that they said, let us make for ourselves a name, pride, sin, and get this legacy. And a lot of people don't pick on legacy because when we talk about, man, I want to leave something for my kids, that could be sinful if not done in the right spirit. And it says, so they're setting themselves up. But this is actually uh, what's called a chiasm. And in the middle of this chiasm is verse five. So they're building this high tower. The irony of it, they said that we'll get to God. But look at verse five, bro. What does it say? What did the Lord have to do? Behold, they are one people and they all have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they pro propose to do will now be impossible to them. Man, but look right before that in verse five, it says, and the Lord, you see it, came down. You see that? So they're saying, we're going to get to him. But guys, I still got to come down. You, you can't get to me. And I just thought that was ironic how he attacks this. But then he says something what you just brought up, like there is nothing that they purpose that's impossible uh, for them to do. You know what that kind of tells me too? Bro, if these people, if God says this, these people have some outside language of some people that are helping them be able to calculate and build in a way that is beyond their ability. Like, I think they got demonic help. No, absolutely. We just seen it in verse six, right? I don't want to be the guy that keeps bringing up demons. No. I'm going to have to put you, yep. you got to be our demon guy, bro. <laughs> yep. But think about that. Like, how do they get this knowledge to be able to do that? Wouldn't it be from somebody who was up there before? And do you think it also could have something to do with the seed being perverted too and God separating them from those other sets of people? The seed, with the seed being perverted. With with all the, everybody growing together. I think it's something I need to think on a little more, but you got my wheels turning to think through that thought. But your point is still valid. He confuses their language and separates them. Now we have not only separate people groups, we got different languages now. And that's even in effect to this day. He confused the language of the whole earth. And in fact, we'll see later in Acts 2, what does he do there? He takes a language that people don't know and teaches it to them. He brings people back through language. And so that's what the gospel does, man. It reversed the curse. The curse separated people. And in Acts 2, it's a reverse babble, bro. And I think that's beautiful. Man, that's awesome. Yeah. So we walk through and we see the descendants of Shem in the rest of this chapter. And we just got to talk about verse 26, man. Can you read that uh, for us? It, it starts off with Terah, and it gives us Abram, Nahor, and Haran. It says, when Terah had lived 70 years, he fathered Abram, Nor, and Haran. Yeah. And so that's our guy. That first name, that's where it's all about the flow from. And we're going to get a zoomed-in account about him in the very next chapter, in chapter 12. Let's walk into it. Let's walk into it together. But before we go there, bro, look at verse 28 in chapter 11. It says that his birth was in where? Ur of the Chaldeans. Guess what Abram is from? Babylon, bro. And he worshiped false gods. God takes an idolater and makes him a worshiper. Does that sound familiar? I think that's Dustin Mills. I think that's Theo Davis. I think that's everybody in our reading plan. He's taking you, an idolater, 
and has made you a worshiper. Amen. Hallelujah. There's something to shout to right there. Absolutely. Like we worship the true and living God. And so in chapter 12, it says, now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to a land which I show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. You shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the ones who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And so there we have it, bro. This is the Abrahamic covenant, and it's a few tenets that you need to know from the Abrahamic covenant. He needs to leave his country, walk away from idolatry, and in this promise, there'll be a land, a seed, and a blessing. You see it all in verse one and two. I'll show you a land, that's a land promise, make you a great nation, that's a seed promise. So the seed is included in that. The seed will be in that nation, bro. So a land, a seed, and I will bless you. And look at this, and I'll make your name what? Great. What did Babel, what they what did they want to do at the Tower of Babel? Make their name what? Great. Make their name great. They they were on those uh Donald Trump vibes. Let's make America great again. <laughs> and look at what God says. No, not Babel, but you. Your name will be great, Abram. So he turns Babel on its head. That's so beautiful to me. Like God engages in a lot of ironic retaliation when somebody wants to do something. He's now nah, you won't do it. I'll do the exact same thing you wanted to do and do it another way. It's like that. You wanted to build this tower of Babel. I'll take somebody from your people group in Babylon and make him a worshiper and bring the seed through him. That's just beautiful to me how God works because we're finite, bro. He's a genius. He turns stuff on his head all the time and he uses it for his glory. And that's why I worship Yahweh, man. Go ahead, bro. Did I was going to ask you, we can't forget to tell him about the reservations that Abraham made with bringing Lot. Oh, yeah. We can get into that later. But hey, mark that. Bring that back up because I want to bring it up a little later. But right now, let's mark in verse 6. It says that Abram passed through the land and as far as a site of Shechem. We got to remember Shechem, bro. Mm -hmm. That comes back up. So this exact point becomes a very specific landmark that we need to remember because it's going to come back up regarding the land. Because remember, land is important now because God includes that in the covenant. Then it says, look, bro, when you get a promise, what do you get right after the promise? Test. A test, bro. <laughs> a test. Look at verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourner there for the famine was severe in the land. So God just said, I give you land. So quite naturally, what should you have done in your head? Stay. Like, it's a famine. I know it's chaotic here, but let me stay and trust God. Man, Abram dipped. And get this. Guess what he grabs in the land that he dips to? He goes to Egypt. You know what he brings back? Hagar, the Egyptian. And I don't think it's coincidental that when Moses talks about Hagar, he keeps saying the Egyptian. Like, why does he say that? Because Abram ran down there when he got tested. He was disobedient, but he comes back, but he brings a problem with him, bro. He brings a problem and it causes him to not trust God. And that's what we do in life, right? Let's close with some practical application. What do we do? Soon as God gives us a promise, it gets hard. He brings testing. He tests the word. 
And what do we do? We go, we dip, and we bring back some baggage. And then we try to tell God to live with it. Hey, this is what I got now. Hey, God, can you take it and bless it? <laughs> Don't we do that, man? No. We say, I think it's your will. I brought this with me, this extra baggage. Can you include it in your plan? Can you include it in your will? And I think what we need to learn is, man, we need to know how God moves. He's going to give us a promise. He's going to test us, but we need to be faithful. We, we got to stand firm and trust God. Man, can you speak to that a little? Because I know you've seen a lot of promises in your life from the word, and you've seen a lot of testing in your life. What helps you to hold fast to the promises of God when persecution, when testing, when pressure gets on you, when you get in that pressure cooker? You're just learning every day God's character. He lays it out for us in scripture, but he also, as we walk with him, we get to test that just like he tests us. God stays faithful even when we're not, even whenever I fail at a test or am disobedient. God doesn't cast me out Man. or wipe me out, but he does. Sometimes when I fail a test, it's a kind of hard road to get back. But even in that, in his loving kindness, he teaches us his faithfulness through our failure. Man, that's powerful. And we'll end there. I love how you worded that. It piggybacks off what we said last time. Like, bro, don't give me a fire application. Give me the character of God, bro. I can stand on that all day long. And thank you guys for rocking with us. And until yeah. next time, we'll catch you when we open up chapter 13, April and Lot. Y'all take care. Peace.